0: Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2, we read earlier, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's 1 Peter 5.10. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for parenting us so well through the scriptures. You don't merely give us verses to claim. You reveal yourself as a father to know, a father who loves and cares for us with daily mercies and grace upon grace. Today, in particular, thank you for validating our sufferings and for pledging yourself to us in our hard places and broken stories. There is no name you call us as more precious to us than mine. We are thankful to be yours and we relish everything that comes with belonging to you. Father, you don't say to us if we pass through deep waters and rushing rivers, but when we do so you will be with us. Thank you for being upfront about life between the resurrection and return of Jesus. There will be difficult seasons in this life, but you are just as sovereign over our sorrows as our joys. Grant us the perspective Peter had. No matter how many years you give us in this world, suffering in this life is for a little while. In the big scheme of things, It's only going to hurt for a little while. Thank you for your promise to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us in, through, and after our sufferings. And grant us Paul's perspective too, his gospel math. The glorious things you've prepared for us in the future far, far, far outvalue the present sufferings we're called to endure now. Father, grant us the grace we need to suffer to your glory, strength to trust you in hardships and with our heartaches, and wisdom and kindness to care for our fellow sufferers. So very amen we pray in Jesus' tender and triumphant name. Grab your Bibles if you have them. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I do miss hearing this sound. What we're going to see today is that suffering doesn't mean that God's plan has failed. Suffering is the plan. Paul Tripp said that, and Paul the Apostle is saying something like that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you recall, the Corinthian church had been invaded by a group of false teachers that Paul calls the super-apostles They were peddling a triumphalistic view of Christianity, the victorious Christian life where suffering was not in the plans. And because Paul suffered so much, they were trying to convince the Corinthian church that Paul wasn't really an apostle called by God. So Paul is writing to let the Corinthians know that suffering is a part of discipleship. We follow Jesus in his sufferings. We take up our cross and follow him. We share abundantly in his sufferings. And one reason we do this is so that we can comfort others who are suffering. So when we suffer, whatever it looks like, it doesn't mean that God's plan has failed because suffering is the plan. God comforts us when we suffer so that we are then enabled to take that comfort and pass it on to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 4 and hear the word of the Lord. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Suffering is The plan. But we often lose sight of this when we are suffering, don't we? If you're like me, you often lose sight of God and how He works and all the powerful ways that He is working through all that I am suffering. So I typically abandon what I know is God's plan in my suffering and I just move to 603 East Pity Party Lane, it's so easy for me to lose sight of who God is and how he is always working in and through all of the affliction that I experience. And I suspect you are the same. That's why God gave us 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. That's why he gave us verse 4, so that we could be reminded that suffering is the plan And God has all kinds of purposes for us when we suffer. And God gave us this verse because suffering has a way of causing you to forget all of your theology. I forgot all of my theology yesterday when I was talking with my wife about something. All my theology just went out the window. Suffering has a way of causing you to forget All of your theology, all of the sermons you've ever heard, all of the verses you've ever memorized. Suffering has a way of causing you to forget deep theological truths that you would normally fall on a sword and die for. For instance, you affirm God's sovereignty. You affirm His providence. You believe it wholeheartedly. You believe Romans 8.28 and you, would, you probably have it on a coffee, a coffee mug, don't you? And you would fall on the sword of divine providence found in Romans 8.28 that he is working all things together for your good and for his glory. But what happens when some kind of suffering comes unannounced into your life and suddenly God's sovereignty seems like a fog like a dream you can barely remember, suddenly Romans 8.28 might be hard to believe. Suddenly, God working all things for good gets foggy, doesn't it? Suddenly, the so that purpose clause of 2 Corinthians 1.4, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, suddenly that purpose clause gets drowned out by what you are suffering. Life can just hit you out of nowhere, right? Listen, by the way, little voices aren't going to bother me. So parents, relax. Not going to bother me at all. Suffering just barges into your life unannounced and uninvited, and it wants to put Romans 8.28 to the test. It might be cancer or some other kind of sickness. It might be heartbreak, unemployment, Death of a loved one. You can just fill in the blanks because suffering wears all kinds of outfits. Suffering will dress up in anything and just barge into your life unannounced. And when this happens, whatever it is, whatever kind of suffering it is, everything that we believe, everything that we confess, all of our theology gets challenged. It's like life comes along and says, okay... You say you believe this or that, all right. How about a showdown? This suffering versus your theology. Life versus your beliefs. This problem versus Romans 8.28. When suffering invades our life, it's like every one of our tweets and updates on social media get challenged. Do we still believe what we said about suffering last month on Twitter when everything in our life was good? Do you still believe what you preached so passionately about two months ago, Pastor? That's what suffering does, whatever kind of suffering it is. Suffering scrolls through your timeline, scrolls through your old posts on social media, and suffering messages you and says, do you still believe this? You posted this meme on Facebook about suffering, but I want to know if you still believe it since I just showed up unannounced and uninvited into your life. That's what suffering does. Suffering comes along and says, you put these quotes on the Facebooks and the Twitters the other day. Do you still believe it now? I want to know if you still believe that Paul Tripp quote that you posted. Let me read it to you in case you forgot Troubling circumstances do not have the power to negate the glorious promises of grace that God has made to us. Suffering comes along and says, huh, do you still believe that? Do you still believe today, like you did last week, that troubling circumstances do not have the power to negate the glorious promises of grace that God made to you? I want to know if you still believe that in the middle of what you're experiencing right now. That's what suffering does. Then suffering pulls up another quote by Paul Tripp that you posted. And this one got a bunch of likes and hearts on Facebook and that kind of that made you feel good. And then Suffering reads that quote back to you and says, times of trouble remind us that Jesus Christ really is the solid rock and that all other ground really is sinking sand. And then Suffering asks us, what about that? Do you still believe that? Has this time of trouble really reminded you that Jesus really is the solid rock and all other ground really is sinking sand? Do you still believe Mr. Theological Mustache Paul Trip? And then suffering throws one more in your face and reads it back to you. It is moments like this that the beautiful perspectives and promises of the gospel shine even brighter and more glorious. And suffering asks you, you still going to like that pick? Still going to heart that Paul Tripp quote? Are the promises of the gospel shining even brighter and more glorious right now, huh? That's what suffering does. Suffering comes along and challenges our theology. Suffering is a, chall- a theology challenger. And it ain't no fun, is it? But guess what? Christian theology was made for suffering. Christian theology was made for hard times. We need our best theology for our darkest times. Like right now, what we're experiencing now. And that's what it's made for. Notice that Paul says in verse 4 that God comforts us in all our affliction. Not in our fantasy, everything is hunky-dory designer lives. Christian theology was made for affliction, for suffering, for those times of despair. Christian theology was made for a coronavirus lockdown and quarantine. Recall from last week that the word that Paul uses here in verse 4 for affliction has both an outward and an inward dimension. Outwardly, you see it with things that we experience in life, like tribulations and trials and pressures and hardships and troubles and persecutions and sufferings. And then inwardly, it's all of the distresses and anxieties that plague us. That's where we use our theology. That's where we put our theology to work, in all of those hard, difficult places. Our best theology is not just reserved for a nice, cool summer day where we lay out on a folding deck chair by the pool, wearing sunglasses, reading a good book, and drinking a glass of sweet tea and eating some Chick-fil-A. Our best theology is made for dark times too. Listen, if our theology is only good for the good days when things are going well, when things are hunky-dory, then we are to be pitied. Our theology, our beliefs, what we confess are actually tailor-made for the bad days. Hardships, troubles, calamities, heartbreak. That's when our theology, that's when our beliefs shine the most, when we suffer. When things aren't hunky-dory, When we can barely hang on, we know it's only God's sufficient grace that holds us up, right? When we feel like there's no hope, that's when we discover that there really is hope. That's when we discover that Jesus Christ really is the solid rock and that all other ground really is sinking sand. And then God gets all the glory, which is what life is all about, right? That's what this morning is all about, God's glory, right? Recall the super apostles were invading the Corinthian church and they were saying, make everything about us. Retweet us. Tell us how great we are. And Paul says, I suffer. And by God's grace, I make it through. And then who gets the glory? Jesus does. Because he's the one who comforts us. He is the one who enables us by his grace to endure. And then, in the miraculous, wonderful, strange, mysterious, wise, and unguessable nature of his ways, God uses what we suffer and the comfort that he provides to us so that we can then go and minister that comfort to others. Look again at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God uses other people and other things to comfort our hearts when we suffer so that we can then take that comfort and pass it on to others. And so part of the responsibility of being a disciple is comforting others who are suffering. We take the comfort that we have received from Jesus, and we pass it on to others. Now, the word used here by Paul for comfort we saw last week has the idea of coming alongside someone, maybe putting your arm around them, consoling them, encouraging them, strengthening them, refreshing them spiritually, really it kind of has the idea of cheering someone on. So when we suffer and we are afflicted within and without, our Heavenly Father tenderly cheers us on. He encourages us with renewed and repeated cheer. He's saying, you can make it. I love that image of our Heavenly Father cheering us on. I'm with you. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you're not going to get burned because I am with you. You are mine. He's cheering us on. And God's comforts also can be found, and they do come into our lives in very ordinary ways. You listen to a sermon, a phone call with someone, a song that you hear on the radio, a Bible verse, friendship. Listen to how Paul describes how he was comforted by his friend Titus. Paul was comforted by Titus, who was comforted by the Corinthian church, and then Titus passed that comfort on to Paul. 2 Corinthians 7, 5-7, Paul tells us about this. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So Paul was down in the dumps, depressed, exhausted, Depleted, full of fears. You've never felt like that, have you? This is Paul. And what does God do? God sees that. And God does another one of his mysterious and miraculous and wonderful and strange and wise and unguessable things by connecting Paul with his friend Titus. This is before iPhones, this is before emails. But God saw that Paul desperately needed comfort, so he sent Titus to pass on some miraculous, wonderful, strange, mysterious, wise, and unguessable comfort. What care Jesus has for his people when they are depressed and down in the dumps and exhausted and depleted and full of fears. Believe that this morning the care that Jesus has for you, when you find yourself in that place in life, he will comfort you in some wild and crazy way. It might be a Bible verse. It might be a phone call by a friend. It might be something else that just blows your socks off. But he cares for you as you are just exhausted and depleted, feel like you can't go on. And notice the context here. Paul says, our bodies had no rest, afflicted at every turn, fighting without, and fear within. Sounds like my house the last two and a half months. Sounds like 2020 quarantine, right? Our bodies had no rest, afflicted at every turn, fighting without, fear within. And God comforted Paul by sending his friend Titus to see him and to encourage him with good news about the church in Corinth. And so the church in Corinth comforted and encouraged Titus, and then he passed that comfort and encouragement on to Paul. So God can comfort us through friends, as well as the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of God's Word, the Lord's Supper, baptism, prayer. But notice here, the phrases, God of all comforts, and the phrase comforted by God, they imply that this comfort could come from anywhere according to God's providence. If God is sovereign and all things are from him and through him and to him and for him, as Paul says in Romans 11.36, if that's true, then that implies that when God comforts us, it might be in ways that leave us absolutely flabbergasted. He is God after all, right? He is the God of all comforts. He has the whole universe at his disposal. So when he brings comfort into our lives to cheer us on when we are suffering, that comfort might come in very surprising ways. I love that about our God. He is not boring by any stretch of the imagination. He is the God of all comforts. That's the great thing about Jesus. He doesn't just provide comfort through ordinary means. He also brings comfort in surprising ways. He also brings comfort in miraculous, wonderful, strange, mysterious, wise, and unguessable ways. He's not boring. He's not predictable. I mean, yes, he uses very ordinary run-of-the-mill stuff like reading a Bible verse and being comforted. He has no problem doing that. But he has all kinds of goodness stored up for us. As Ralph Davis says when he comments on Psalm 31, he says, We should let David's opening salvo percolate in our minds how massive your goodness which you have stashed away for those who fear you. Do you catch the implication He's speaking of God's surprises. He's saying that Yahweh has secret treasures of goodness that you are not aware of, hidden away, ready to use in your behalf. Treasures, we might say, we know nothing about and have never imagined, though Jesus was well aware of them. Hence, in our troubles, we can, like David, enumerate our resources like God's covenant or his justice. But there's lots more. His secret riches waiting to be put on display. We are not impoverished. Even in our worst troubles, provisions are in place. God brings comfort and encouragement in very surprising ways, doesn't he? He's not dull. He's not boring in his consolations. Here's how I like to imagine God. I imagine him looking at one of his angels Because Peter tells us in 1 Peter that angels long to look into salvation. So I like to imagine God looking at an angel and saying, you see my child down there? Watch this. I could use a verse out of the Psalms to comfort them, but I'm going to surprise them with something out of the blue today. Something wild and crazy that will totally knock their socks off. Don't you just love that the God that we serve is not a boring, bland deity with the same playbook for every trial that his children go through? Aren't you glad when you suffer, Jesus doesn't have some formula to comfort you? Let me ask you, can you even begin to imagine that Jesus loves to surprise you and knock your socks off with his comfort. Can you even begin to imagine that? Now let me ask you, can you begin to pray that Jesus would surprise you and knock your socks off with his comfort? I did that a few weeks ago. I was feeling down in the dumps, depressed, massive case of the blahs. I should have been good that day, I got up and had plenty of time to pray and read my Bible before work. I was even reading from a new commentary that had been waiting to come out. And so I should have been good. Also, I had plenty of coffee. So I should have been a lot more chipper than I was, but I wasn't. I just felt blah in my heart. And so I prayed. I was actually walking in the church parking lot, headed into the church office, and this is what I prayed almost word for word. I said, Lord, I need some comfort, some encouragement. I'm down in the dumps and I need some comfort. And not just your run-of-the-mill comfort. I need something wild, something off the top shelf, buried deep in the warehouse that hasn't been used in a while kind of comfort. And literally 30 seconds later, I walked into the church office and there were several very generous gifts waiting for me. Someone in the church family had dropped off some very cool gifts for our family. That was off the top shelf, buried deep in God's warehouse, not run-of-the-mill comfort and encouragement just for me. Just for me, because Jesus loves me. And then a little later that morning, I received an email from someone with some very exciting news that I was not expecting. And then the next day, this is how much Jesus loves me. He gets me, okay? He gets me. I discovered a podcast that was just made for me. And I laughed a lot over Friday and Saturday just listening to these episodes of this podcast and I needed that laughter really bad. And God in his sovereignty led me to that podcast and provided me with that comfort and with that laughter. And it was all just for me because Jesus loves me. Not because I'm a pastor of a church, just because I'm in God's family. And he loves you just the same. And so all of that stored up goodness of the Lord came into my life because of his grace. And I think even because I prayed for it. It was very detailed and specific comfort and encouragement just for me because Jesus loves me. So let me ask you, can you begin to pray that Jesus would surprise you and knock your socks off with his comfort? Can you begin to pray for very specific, detailed comfort and encouragement from Jesus, just for you, tailor made comfort, just for you, for what your little heart needs. Why not go for it? He just might knock your socks off. Isn't our God amazing? I mean, isn't He wild and crazy? This is vintage Jesus stuff, right here, is all it is. He has massive goodness, according to Psalm 31, stashed away for you. He's full of surprises. He has secret treasures of goodness that you were not aware of, hidden away, ready to use on your behalf. Treasures that you know nothing about and have never imagined. And He is so committed to you that He will surprise you with them when you desperately need them. So what are you waiting for? Start praying some wild and very detailed prayers. Doesn't this picture of Jesus make you want to shout? He uses creative and wild and imaginative ways to meet the needs of and comfort his people. I love that about him. His answers to our prayers, his meeting our needs, his detailed providence is not boring. He meets our needs and comforts us and he often does it in surprising ways. And so Paul was down in the dumps and God saw that and God sent his good friend Titus his way to refresh his heart. Isn't our God amazing? Isn't he wild and crazy? This text here in 2 Corinthians, if we slow down enough to think about the implication of phrases like God of all comforts, and comforts us, if we slow down enough to think about it, it is impressing on us to expect wild and crazy things from God. This text is telling us to stick our necks out and trust Jesus, no matter what we see with our eyes. To expect the God of all comforts to surprise us with his goodness. And so let's continue to do this as a church. Let's keep talking about and anticipating and expecting God to come through for us in wild and crazy ways. I mean, why not? What's the alternative to that? To mope? To be full of despair? To listen to the devil's lies and accusations? To worry? To stress? to chew our fingernails down until they bleed, or we can expect Jesus, the God of all comforts, to intervene with his comfort and encouragement. We can anticipate him intervening because we believe his word and because we believe that he's faithful. So let's become a church that expects God to respond with wild and crazy answers to our prayers. Let's start talking about it anticipating and expecting God to come through for us in crazy ways. I mean, that's better than fear, isn't it? And worry and sleepless nights. It's better than moping. After all, who are we dealing with here? Has Jesus ever given us reason to doubt his goodness? Has Jesus ever given you reason to doubt his goodness? Imagine being a church where instead of stressing out, we stress the wild and crazy faithfulness of the God of all comforts. And when we create and cultivate this kind of church culture, when we talk about what God might do, how he is faithful, how he has all kinds of comfort and encouragement at his disposal for all kinds of affliction, when we create a culture of expectancy instead of negativity instead of fear, instead of grumbling, then we will strengthen our spiritual muscles so that we as a church family and you as an individual disciple can learn to walk by faith and not by sight. So who can understand these wild and crazy commitments that God makes to his people, especially when things get dark or seem hopeless? Ed Welch says, God prefers the impossible. Although he often cares for our needs before we know we have them, his mighty acts are showcased best against the backdrop of insurmountable odds. Some of you are right smack dab in the middle of some insurmountable odds. And things are dark, and they seem and appear hopeless. And you need some comfort and some encouragement. Well, guess what? Jesus prefers the impossible. He, he's comfortable with the impossible. We're not. He's comfortable. He's like, oh, this is like, I'm in my zone. He's comfortable dropping his comforts down into impossible situations. Jesus does his best work in impossible situations when his reputation is on the line. And he brought you here today. He brought you here to this church today. You weren't thinking about that on Friday morning, were you? He brought you here today and he brought you to this live stream whenever you're watching it so that you would be assured of his power and assured of his presence and assured of his comfort in the middle of your insurmountable odds. He brought you here today so that you would be reminded that suffering doesn't mean that God's plan has failed. Suffering is the plan. And we know that suffering is the plan because of Jesus he suffered for us, for our sin on the cross. So, God's eternal plan was that Jesus would suffer throughout his life, culminating in the cross. That means that the cross wasn't plan B, it was the plan from the beginning. And God loved each one of us so much that he gave up his only son, Jesus, for our sin. That's amazing. Don't ever fail to be astonished by this good news. Renew your awe often. Jesus died for you, and he knows what you've said and what you've done over the last two and a half months. And he still loves you. Don't ever fail to be awestruck by that truth. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave up his son Jesus to suffering just for you. Now, how will God not also along with Jesus graciously give you all things, give you things you don't deserve? Connect the dots here. If he gave up his one and only son, to die in your place on the cross when you were his enemy, won't he take care of you now that you're his child? Won't he take care of you? Has he ever given you reason to not believe this? Christian, God has so much goodness and comfort stored up for you. He has miraculous, wonderful, strange, mysterious, wise, and unguessable ways that he can bless and comfort you So trust him as you suffer, and expect him to graciously give you all things. And start to believe that amazing really is a great adjective to describe grace. It's amazing that he saves us, and it's amazing that he still cares so deeply for us. After all, all that we bring to the table is our fickleness, right? And he meets that with his faithfulness. That. Is amazing. Let's close with something Steve Brown said. God designed the gospel to be astonishing. God designed grace to be amazing. And God designed the Christian faith to be totally bewildering. If you make it less so, you change it into something that it isn't. Not only that, you rob it of its power. The gospel is this. You're forgiven, past, present, and future. You're loved and you can't be unloved no matter what you do. And you are his. Christian, believe this amazing good news this morning. You are forgiven past, present, future. And you are loved and you can't be unloved no matter what you do. And you are his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your comfort and your encouragement and your love. Thank you that you are not limited by how you minister to us, God. And thank you that you're not boring and dull and just go to the same playbook. Lord, would you open our eyes to believe your word, to believe the gospel. And would you cause us to be a church and to create even more of a church culture where we don't automatically go to the negative. And forgive me when I have, Father. But we would automatically expect and anticipate that you're going to do wild and crazy things for us because you're faithful and you're true. And then when you answer, Lord, help us to remember to give you all the glory because that is what life is about. In your son's name we pray, amen.